The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, this is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guest featured is Gary Weber. So I'm your host. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and then develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead and transform their organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. So we talk about the rate of change we're facing and that it's accelerating. And if we think about our lives now compared to how they were even 10 years ago, for most of us, we can point to a significant changes. And if we think of our, depending on our age, our earlier lives, again, they are significantly different. And yet, for many of us, our mental operating system and the way our brain functions is not changing. So what Gary will talk about is how we can consciously look at that operating system. So I'm really excited to have Gary back today. He is our top guest. He's a subject and collaborator in neuroscience studies at Yale, Johns Hopkins, Penn State, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, the Bowman Institute, and the Center for Study of Non-Symbolic Consciousness. So Gary's brain may be the most studied brain we know, uh, certainly the most studied brain I know. So <laughs> one might wonder what one does to get to this level. So in the early 90s, Gary was responsible for all R&D for four research labs, so about 1,000 engineers, scientists, and technology folks with a $260 million budget and also a member of the executive committee. From there, he was responsible for all technology transfer uh, operations of a major university, including angel investing, venture capital, licensing, patenting, and startup support. He supervised seven organizations and their financing, as well as three economic development organizations, providing support for regional business coverage in the area of central Pennsylvania. Since then, he's been researching and writing about happiness beyond thought. He's applying his extensive research skills to helping leaders and employees become more effective um, through building an ability to focus and manage their thinking. So the reason 
for this show, in my view, is that as humans first and leaders second, we are facing a massive amount of change. And that's not going to change in most of our professional lifetimes. So the question for me is, how do we learn to navigate, just metabolize the change that's coming at us, and then as leaders lead organizations in ways that are orderly and helpful and and in for-profit businesses profitable such that we leave a legacy of a better world in the future than we stepped into. And with this volume of change, we don't come pre-equipped to do that. So Gary and I will talk about the leadership, quote, operating system we're working with based on brain programming on our level of conscious awareness of this operating system. When we increase our awareness, we can reprogram the operating system to move beyond survival and ego-based systems to a more deliberate, service-based, long-term success-oriented system. So in this time of increasing complexity and challenge, we as leaders need to commit to updating this operating system to ensure future generations thrive. And frankly, for some of us, if we live long enough, to ensure that we thrive. So this is something that must be done by every leader. And what I mean by that is we can't look to our politicians or our senior executives. It's incumbent upon all of us, and it improves. Gary's writing is about happiness often. So it not only improves our ability to lead, it improves the quality of life we experience, each of us as individuals. So it seems incumbent upon us, even just in service of our families, that we attend to this. And I, um, I will also say that I am, have been working with Gary's Frameworks, and I see a difference in my world, and have committed for a three-month project specifically on how, how applying his work in how I'm leading. So, Gary, thank you for joining us, and welcome. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the idea that over 99% of our thinking and action takes place automatically. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think one important uh, concept to get in front of ourselves, to begin to understand what exactly this we is and how important it is and what kind of uh, functions and tasks it performs. Uh, The metaphor that we use is of a rider on top of an enormous elephant. Uh, And this rider up on top of the elephant uh, can do seven pieces of data, plus or minus two, basically across all languages at one time, and solve one problem. Uh, Underneath that, offline, is the wonder of the universe. Uh, 100 billion neurons, 50 trillion synaptic interconnections that can pass data back and forth, huge data storage. And so what happens, actually, is that almost everything that goes on is done by offline programs done in this enormous elephant. Uh, how we digest our food, how we breathe, how we you know, walk up and down the stairs, how we move our hands and arms, uh, is all done offline. And even most of our complicated problem solving is done offline. Uh, some excellent studies on this, looking at uh, very complicated problems and passing them off, uh, something that requires discontinuous creativity, something that you can't quite solve simply. And if you just uh, work on the problem, it then goes offline. You can actually watch the problem being solved in the brain by either EEG or fMRIs, tools that we use, 
You can see the brain working on solving the problem offline. You can see how it changes, how it works in the very back of the brain, then moves it around to the front when the problem is solved. Then the problem is passed up from the elephant to this rider. And the rider gets this message, and the rider is really just a press secretary, somebody who announces what's going on, takes blame and credit for things, uh, passes around stories, but doesn't really solve much of anything functionally. There's some reasons we evolved this way, but it is important to remember that, in fact, very little of what we actually do, uh, no more than 1%, is actually done online within we're conscious of. The rest is all done offline, this enormous uh, parallel processor elephant that we have that really is a wonder uh, of uh, processing capability and a whole bunch of programs that are being run. And this, this uh, rider is an I program, just a small program that uh, we downloaded as a species about 75 to 80,000 years ago. Uh, we've been off from the chimpanzees about 6 million years, so this is a really relatively easy, recent innovation. So it's a recent piece of software. And the question now, as Maureen put this up front, is is, is it time to look at that piece of software, this I software, and see if we can do something about that ourselves to modify its operations in a way that doesn't cause us a lot of problems and still gives us a lot of problem-solving capability. So let me probe this a little further. So 1% of what happens I am conscious of. So does that mean I think I'm making decisions, but really those decisions are coming based on my internal wiring, whether it is an extremely old program or my upbringing or my, my individual genetic code? Yeah, exactly. We, we believe we make decisions, <clears throat> but this back and forth, the arguing to and froing that takes place in our conscious mind uh, really isn't where the decision gets made. Uh, if you watch very carefully, when the decision happens, you'll see, you're sitting in a board meeting or something on a business plan presentation, you'll see that this, this choice and decision actually comes out of nowhere, comes out of offline from this elephant into your consciousness, and it just arises uh, not out of this back and forth, not out of this pluses and minuses, but the brain actually runs a, a, a program balance offline. And it solves this problem for us, comes up with a solution, makes the best decision, and presents it to the writer. And the writer proudly announces he came up with this thing when, in fact, it was really all done offline. So that seems like it has huge implications. Well, it does. I mean, the important thing as executives, we have to learn, and even as just you know, walking around your house with your kids, wife and kids, whatever, is to recognize that you don't make these decisions. You only think you do. You believe this, oh, I have to make a correct decision on this, but in fact, it really comes from offline. Uh, so you can relieve yourself of this uh, worrying continuously about, well, should it be this, should it be that, I believe this, I believe that, and just let go of that, pose the problem, let it go offline, let the brain work on it, and let it come back to the solution, especially if you've got a very complicated problem, you know, some big business problem you've been working on for a while, and you're going back and forth in your consciousness about it, just take a night's sleep, go for a walk, uh, just take a break, and see what happens. You may find that, in fact, this problem is solved offline and just arrives back up when you return back to your desk or even on the course of your walk or after you wake up in the morning. So I hear people often say, the answer came to me in the shower. Exactly. 
And, and there's so many big breakthroughs that have come about just by doing that. You pose the problem, work on it very hard, think about it, uh, and the offline processor has all this data, has all the information. It's running comparisons on the possible alternatives. If this is not a, just a, a random process, it's very planful about it. the brain trying to solve this problem. So it stacks up pluses and minuses by itself, a huge amounts of data, and comes up with the right with those two or three or four, the best decision. And it then passes it up to the writer. It's announced and it comes out. If you recognize that, you can relieve yourself of having to, you know, battle with trying to make a decision in consciousness because that's not where it's going to get decided. It really happens offline. So does that also mean that I, as the executive, need to make space for those things to come up? I need to put time in my day to walk quietly instead of programming every minute in meetings and um, limited time for thinking. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're, we're so addicted to our phones uh, and to our, this internal narrative that we have going on. One of the things that I, I first started working on when I began doing meditation and such was to look at this internal narrative that went on continuously. And was it useful or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know at the time what was going on neuroscientifically. We do now know. There's a circuit uh, deep in the core of the brain, pretty much in the center, that produces this uh, talking back and forth, this planning the future, uh, worrying about the past, uh, deciding about this problem, that problem, what did the boss really mean? Is my coworker really trying to attack me from behind? Uh, you know, what am I going to do this afternoon? I guess it's a big problem. That isn't useful. Uh, that's just this internal talking, 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 worrying. And if you watch carefully, that narrative uh, has a lot of energy in it, a lot of anxiety in it, a lot of uh, problems and stress. And so, you know, you're better off recognizing that that's there and you can cut this down. If you just begin looking at this eye, every one of those problematic thoughts that's in there has an eye someplace buried in it, an eye, me, or a my. If you begin to look at that eye, you can de-energize this central circuit. Now, on the right-hand side of your brain, there's a tasking circuit. That tasking circuit is where you really do your problem, putting, solving, and analysis, online or offline. It's on the right-hand side of the brain. So what you have to do is decide whether you're going to be in this blah, blah, blah circuit, this problematic one, or if you're going to be off on the right-hand side of your brain, your tasking circuit, be either one or the other, there's a part of your brain that actually controls which one you're going to be in. And that's what we have to work on. So I can manage which side of the brain I'm on, and that's, that's the work that you're teaching me to do. Exactly. It's, you stay in that tasking network as much as possible. If you're involved in a task you really enjoy and are, are uh, involved in deeply, then in fact you won't go into that blah, blah, blah problematic network. If you get bored being walking around, you start going off into your, oh, could it be this, could it be that, problematic worrying, then you'll be in this blah, blah circuit, and you'll be unable to get a good idea through that from offline, and you'll be staying out of your tasking circuit where your real work gets done. So, so manage my think- managing my thinking in that way, managing which circuit I'm in, has a significant impact on my ability to be productive, my stress, and the quality of output I produce. Absolutely. Enormous impact on a signal-to-noise ratio, your ability to uh, conduct your day uh, in cleverly, uh, in a presence, being around for people in meetings, listening to what they're saying, 
uh, paying attention to the body language, the voice language, you know, the, the tone of people's voices in the meetings. So you really know what's going on in a meeting. You're not someplace else. <clears throat> You're right there in that meeting 100% of the time. So the other thing that we haven't talked about at this point is when I go into the blah, blah, blah circuit in a meeting, I, and I think this is what you're pointing to, I get so absorbed in that thing that's going on in my head that I can completely miss what's happening in the room. Well, if you notice that, exactly. You find that if all the people in the room, if you <clears throat> quiet down this blah, blah circuit, you'll be the only person that's really in the room all the time. Okay. The rest of the people are there some small fraction of the time, 25, 30% of the time maybe, maybe even less than that. So you're the only person that really hears all the exhibits clearly, gets to hear the presentations clearly, and can sit there with not a lot of uh, interference and noise and process the information that you're hearing. So again, I, I realize I am repeating myself, but I really want to emphasize the importance of managing that the noise really allows me to be a much clearer thinker and also it in- impacts my physiology that I'm not throwing myself into this stress cycle because I go into what happens if somebody does something after the meeting or in the meeting or what's going on at home or some mm-hmm. other challenge. I'm, I'm not uh, cycling through stuff that's unproductive. Well, the brain is an enormous user of energy. Huge consumer of glucose. 20% of the body's energy is used by the brain. So the less you can, you can turn that brain around, the more energy you have to work on productive things with the brain. I'd like it if my brain worked more and burned off calories, but that's probably not in our program, right? <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, let's go on a quick break, and we will come back and talk about how our brain focuses and preferences negativity over positivity. So this is Gary Weber and Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So, Carrie, welcome back. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. One of the things you've talked about is uh, pain is weighted three to five times higher in our brain. So if we're programmed to stay alive, our brain will see something that is painful or risky, and it emphasizes that more highly than something that's pleasurable. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Exactly. The brain basically runs an algorithm of a program that looks at pleasure over pain. If you consider all the pleasures that you've experienced in the past, uh, the brain has had to, for survival, make certain that we uh, overweighted our pain memories more than our pleasure memories. It didn't matter 55,000 years ago in East Africa when we came down to the watering hole, just how beautiful the trees were today and how much we enjoyed those. It really mattered a lot whether or not we saw any brown fur in the grass alongside the watering hole. Uh, So they overweight. The brain overweighted. The people who survived actually overweighted the uh, problems they had in the past at the watering hole by three to five times, much more concern focused on that than focused upon just looking around and enjoying the beautiful sky. And our brains are set up that way. Um, Any pleasure that you have, if you watch carefully, you can see that there's a lot of craving, anguish, concern about repeating it again, uh, prob- problems that it, that it created in the past, uh, maybe a decision you had to make, and it was a very bad decision, it was a terrible things happened to you, not only were the bad things happened to you, but in fact they were accelerated and made accentuated. more powerful, emphasized more by having them be three to five times more powerfully weighted by the brain for consideration in the future. So if you go to make a decision or enjoy a pleasure, uh, in fact, recognize that that pleasure over pain matrix is working there, and it's going to work against you if you generate a lot of uh, anguish and pain about something that you've done as opposed to the pleasure you may have derived from doing it. So how does that play out for me as a leader as I'm trying to make business decisions? Well, what can happen is you can become hyper-conservative. Okay. Because you're afraid that, that you're going to make a bad decision. And so you anguish a great deal about this thing, and that really feeds into this this problem. And if you do make a bad decision, and we've all made them, then you find, in fact, that's a very strongly weighted problem for you. If you have mm-hmm. pleasure in your business, if you have some very some successes in your business and making uh, decisions, business plans, building factories, putting up new production lines, whatever it is, new marketing plans, and you have in any of those a related failure then you're going to overweight the failure over the positive things. And if you aren't careful, you'll become almost paralyzed by the fact that the brain has so strongly weighted this negative thing that you really bias your decisions that way and you don't do the innovative, creative, uh, leap forward things because you got burned in the past and that's really weighted that way. So if you want to be more uh, creative, you've got to find some way to not have this anxiety that perpetrates uh, after a bad decision and just goes over and over, milling around in your brain, causing you all kinds of problems and stories in this blah, blah circuit. If you have that going on, then that's going to emphasize this was really a bad thing. I'm sure it can't happen ever again. The boss was mad at me. The board didn't like that at all. You do that to yourself, 
And that really drives that pain matrix deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger so we have a harder time coming back the next time and being more innovative and creative. So if you can stop that blah, blah circuit, you can stop that negative churn after a bad decision, there's a much better chance you'll be more creative and innovative in the future because you won't be afraid to make those decisions. So with my clients, I often talk about moving from command and control to the mind of a scientist. So now before I make a decision, I've framed it as an experiment. So here's my hypothesis. I'm still expected to be directionally correct. And yet I can move forward more quickly with an experiment than I can with a solution. So I've built into how I run my life and how I work with clients, where it's appropriate, certainly not a, a general rule, but that we are expecting to make mistakes. Our world is too complex to to assume that we won't. And so building into that mental construct, yes, I'm going to make mistakes, does that help what you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that, that as you just said, the world is massively complex. Uh, We we cannot possibly, you you cannot gather all the data you need to make the perfect decision. You will never know all the outcomes everything your competitors are going to do, everything your employees are going to do, everything your partners are going to do. Uh, So if you try to put a box around that and insist that you gather all that information, you will still not have enough to make the perfect decision. So for me, it's much, much more productive to do what you talk about, Maureen, and actually come to this decision more openly without some big preconceptions. Try to watch and see if you have a lot of stories around this kind of a decision, this kind of a plan, this kind of a business uh, area, and let those go. You know, let go of your old past stories about your failures and just be present as much as you can without any past stories and just be there and see what's fresh in your mind, as fresh as you can make your mind, and begin exploring possibilities without shutting them down prematurely and saying, oh, MG, that's just been so terrible in the past. I'm, we're never going to do that again. The world uh-huh. has changed. People move on. I mean, new products come out all the time. Uh, the pace of business is very rapid. You cannot possibly know exactly what's going to happen, so let yourself go from having to know all the information and be open to what's really happening. That's much more powerful. It's really the only sane approach to take because if you try to remember all your past stories, you will will certainly overweight the negative ones and you will block your creativity. And yet for everyone who's been laid off, whether because a company downsized or division was sold or all of those reasons that that we experience unchosen job transitions, it's hard not to be worried about if I do that, something bad will happen. And then adding to it that my brain is programmed to add, to overweight that negative thing. Now let's go into the concrete steps of, so I'm going to try an experiment. How do I keep my brain from saying, you moron, you've done this before, you know it turned out badly, my inner conversation, which then turns into me saying, we can't do this. It didn't work last time. It's a bad idea. What's- well, there's some really nice uh, psychologically generated protocols uh, out of human psychotherapy is one of them. But what you do is you look at and say, Are these, is this story true? This story, mm-hmm. I'm a moron. I've been, I was laid off. 
uh, the cause was really terrible my last job. Nobody liked what I did. I'm never going to be successful again. You look at that and you say, is this a helpful story for me to have? Mm-hmm. And is it true? Is it true that I'm a moron? <laughs> no, but the, these are well. No, no, but, my head, but, but you know, you look around. I, say, I, I don't know really that everyone does that, but often decision. I sent something to a client today that I realized it was an error I should have caught. Not nothing even bad happened, other right. than I didn't catch a mistake. And right. the first thing that goes through my head, fortunately, a lot less now. But boy, I'm embarrassed that that happened. I, I should have caught that. You just let go of it because you didn't catch it. Nope. And you, you can't ever, you know, imagine to not catch it again. Just let go of any stories you have about, if you, if you just say, okay, I, I should have known that. What was wrong with I thinking? My God. Just let go of that because it didn't happen. Let go of it. You're now in the new moment. Let that story go. Mm-hmm. If you try to remember that story and say, well, if I hold on to that story, it will protect me from ever making that problem, that decision again, that bad idea with a client. It will never happen again. But the problem uh, yeah, that's is not true. that exact situation <laughs> will never occur helpful. again. So yeah, its value to you has, is almost zero. Yeah. As far as predicting it, it's some, some, something in the future that you might use that old story about to fix. It's not going to happen because the world's moved on, the other person, the client's changed, you've changed, the situation has changed. That's an old story that no longer has any validity and doesn't deserve to be stored in your memory and called up again every time you see that client. Or any other client. Or any other client. Fear of making mistakes. Or any other client. Just let go of it. It happened, let go of it. You know, it seems like the other thing we do, and again, this is something I've worked very deliberately on, is not only do I make the mistake, but then I walk around and tell everybody the rest of the day this happened. And I ruminate over dinner or drinks with a friend rather than something one of my best friends taught me years ago. When we would talk in the evening, she would say something like, what was the best thing that happened during your day? So she didn't leave it up to me to say what happened today where I would go into some negative story. The question really changed how I thought and how I interacted and has informed my behavior for now years. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would even, to me, yes, absolutely. But to be more, from my experience, more proactive about it, just watch your consciousness. And if you start doing the rumination you're talking about and begin telling everybody, oh, I was, I really, I'm really terrible, what do you expect to come out of that? Is that useful? You know, why are you no. why are you building your pain bottom your your, your denominator mm-hmm. of the, the pleasure pain matrix you're just building it stronger and stronger and stronger the story is getting bigger it grows it adds uh, uh, details after a while it becomes it takes on a life of its own and if there's no point you're just building the pain of this whole pleasure pain matrix embedding it very deeply making this story become more and more entrenched in your consciousness in your memory. And if you do that, then you have a hard time getting it out of there. If you don't put it in so hard, if you don't keep reinforcing it by walking around telling everybody or ruminating about it, it won't be stored as strongly. So the brain will let go of it more easily. And so this is back to your point of being conscious, because I, I just did it unconsciously. That's kind of how I was programmed. Something goes wrong, I talk about it all day, I think about it all night. I probably talk about it the next morning over coffee. It, instead of that conscious... Ooh, 
that's like taking picking up a rock walking down the street or a, a needle and sticking it in my pocket and then wondering why it keeps poking me. Exactly. And, and it just recognizing the fact that you're doing this rumination, it's not useful. It is destructive. It really does, you know, bias your processor the wrong way, and it doesn't solve anything. It's not useful to you or to anybody you're telling the story to. So... Will you explain in a concrete way, and what, what I'm kind of thinking of is what you've asked me to do, what, what can our listeners do? So we've talked about continually telling that negative story and blowing it out of proportion, and that's how our brains are wired. What's the antidote to that? Well, I think just recognizing it's happening and asking these simple questions. Is this story true? Mm-hmm. And, and can I let go of this story? Because we believe we hold on to those stories that protect us someday in the future. And just ask yourself very simply, is this story true? And could I let go of this story? Because you might think it has protective value for you. And then you say, will you let go of this story? If not now, will you do it someday in the future? And mm-hmm. if you can just look very quickly, you can do this in, in almost in a flash, just grab the story and go through those simple steps. Is this true? Is it useful to me? Will I let go of it? Because you amazingly, amazingly, and this is unisex therapy, amazingly, if you just say, oh, that's a silly story. I don't want that thing around. It's not going to be useful to me ever again. The brain, amazingly, lets go of it. Just by your saying, I don't need this story. I don't want this story. It gets de-energized immediately. So you can stop those stories. You know, I was an idiot today. I shouldn't have said to this client. Whatever you're saying to yourself. And just ask yourself that. Is this helpful to me? Can I get rid of this thing? Is it true? And if you say, no, it's not true, I'm going to let go of this thing. I don't need this story. Amazingly, the brain lets go of it. And that has been true for me. Interestingly, when this thing came up today, I did feel embarrassed. But I didn't go through the self-flagellation that I would have in the past. I'm not sure that's the right term, but I didn't beat myself up like I would have before. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that we've talked about and that you have me doing is setting an alarm and asking myself questions periodically through the day. So if I happen to get caught up in a story and I'm not even aware enough of my own thoughts to say, is it true, that an alarm goes off on my phone and I'm encouraged to revisit what am I thinking about? Exactly. Just a simple question like, it may sound silly, but where am I? Because you might be off in some storyland that you're telling to talking to yourself. You just put a reminder on your smartphone, pop, pops up. Just ask yourself now, where am I? Just take a minute or two, literally a minute or two. Just mm-hmm. stop and just consider, where am I now in my consciousness? What's happening in consciousness? And you just see what happens. But often you find you didn't. You're drifting off into some la la land of pain and pain and sorrow, and you can just stop and say. What am I doing here? I'm in a strange, weird, useless, <laughs> unproductive place. Can I just let go of this story? It's a crazy story. And amazingly, you can let go of it. So I, I could set a timer on my phone every time I'm in a meeting halfway through to vibrate me, um, to remind me to show up to the meeting if I've drifted into something that isn't focused on that, the topic at hand. Exactly, because you can find yourself hap- doing that in meetings. It's a boring business plan presentation. You've heard this guy before. You know, you don't, you don't think he's going to have a good program, and you just drift off. 
and you find yourself off someplace far away, and it may turn out that the, the guy or woman now has this very different presentation. It's a very fascinating idea, and nobody's really listening to it because you've all drifted off into some la-la land. And if you wake up, then you can say, oh, this is a good idea. You know, Mary, that's really a fantastic idea. Let's talk about that point you just presented there. That's really clever. Everybody else has just drifted off and gone far away. And at a minimum, I'm not thinking something negative, even if it is a boring presentation. At least I'm not exactly. pleasing myself said, oh, with yeah, fighting flight hormones. Waste. Where's my I got to start, start checking my email. This is ridiculous. I, I can't <laughs> waste this time here. Is that true? Yeah, you've just described my life. <laughs> exactly. I check my phone now. This is worthless me. I'll just do my phone now. We'll be back momentarily with Gary Weber. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Gary Weber, and we're talking about how our brains are programmed and how that influences our ability to be effective as leaders. So let's come to the question, are we programmed to live in fear? We talked about the three to five times weighting of risk. So are we fearful by nature? Well, I, I think you know, fear is, it was, was built into us for a good reason. There are things to be afraid of. You can be afraid of a lion or a tiger or a bear. Lions and tigers and bears are gone. Uh, we now had the same circuitry running in us that, that was been there for 55,000 years or 75,000 years, generating these exaggerated fears. I mean, before we had the fears that the animals around us have. You know, they, you know the deer in my yard know to watch out for hunters or for black bears. They don't sit around ruminating about that. So they have fear. They have fear of bears, and they see the bear, and they respond to that. And we used to be that way, too. But now we have this, this uh, rumination built into us that takes a simple fear like that, like, you know, I can't afford to go bankrupt, or I need some money to feed my kids, 
And we turn that into a long story. And we begin ruminating in this central circuit we talked about, this blah, blah circuit. And we turn what is a, you know, a, a useful consideration, like I need to make sure we, we can meet payroll this, this month, into mm-hmm. a complete uh, almost psychosis that we develop, worrying about it. So the fear, you know, yes, we have to make payroll. Uh, thinking about that endlessly and beating ourselves up about it and doing a lot of non-productive uh, anxiety uh, deep, almost visceral fears generating that, causing us a lot of anxiety, worry, sleepless nights. Uh, we become just you know non-functional. We we really have to be 100% fully online to do a good job meeting payroll. We just have to do that. And so, mm-hmm. if we can get out of this rumination mode, and we can give ourselves some bandwidth to be creative at finding a good solution and not being exhausted from the rumination and from not getting enough sleep and enough rest and having too many meetings that aren't very useful, trying to solve a problem that you know you aren't going to solve that way, then you may get a really innovative solution. I mean, you have to get to a place of, I don't know what the answer is. I work with some people at MIT, Peter Senge, for example, who, who goes very much into this thing, can you get quiet enough? Can you get to a place of, we don't, want, no, we don't know what the answer is right now about meeting payroll. So we need to get the people in the room who can do something about meeting payroll, the real people who can really do something about it. And let's just come to this place and saying, look, we aren't clear on how to meet payroll. What, what ideas do we have in the room right now of some other way to meet payroll other than the obvious ones we've tried before? And out of that quietness, everybody's brain gets calmed down, and you say, we don't admit we don't know the answer to this particular problem right now, and say, okay, I'm open for suggestions here. Sure, I'm the boss, but let's, let's talk about what ways we haven't looked at before to meet payroll and see what comes up. I mean, let it, let it go into a space of, I'm not sure what the answer is, because you may not know what the answer is. And you beat yourself up for not knowing it when, in fact, somebody else may have some other solutions to it. This is hard to do as a CEO or a top leader because you don't want to show that you're weak. But, in fact, people welcome this. Say, look, okay, the boss is open to some suggestions now. And things can happen out of that. So, so the changing of my mental pattern, one, I recognize that it's a story in my head that's not true. So I have, that, have to have the ability to... Be conscious of what I'm thinking. Ask if it's true. Step back from it and examine it. And then if it's not true, so we may be worried about payroll. The story in my head about the world's going to end, likely not true. By stopping the story, that then frees me up to take action, right? Exactly. If you're worried, oh, you know, the world's going to come to an end because of this this problem, that problem. We have lots of problems mm-hmm. in the world. One of the one of the, that, the big downsides of the internet is we now know the entire world's problems, moment to moment to moment, and mm-hmm. we're completely uh, awash with them. We're almost drowning in the problem because we can hear all kinds of problems. Some one person, one person has a problem someplace halfway around the world, and the whole world knows about it, and the whole world's mm-hmm. worried about it. And this goes on all day long. So I'd tell you, you know, get away from social media as much as you can. Get away from the news as much as you can. The news in some faraway country is almost certainly not going to impact whether or not you meet payroll. So get those things out of your consciousness. Give yourself, you know, a downscale on media access. 
Give yourself permission to not know the very, very latest thing on the latest whether it's trending on Twitter. Just give yourself space to say, look, I don't care about that. I can't use that information in meeting payroll. I need to focus on meeting payroll. I don't care about some crisis I can't do anything about. What is actionable for me? And what do I need to solve that problem? Focus on that. Get the other stuff out of your life as much as you possibly can. You know, just resist if you can social media. Resist if you can your phone. Resist if you can having to know in every discussion what the latest piece of news is. It isn't mm-hmm. going to help you meet payroll. So, so this is really that kind of old Covey first things first. What Absolutely. And maybe first things only. Because we, we end up doing 83 things, 82 of which are completely useless. They have no bearing upon whether or not we're going to be successful in our business or our life or with our family or anything else. You don't have to be the latest, the best person, informed person in the entire room. You need to be focused on what the problem is at hand. And it sounds like you're saying, not only do I not need to be the best at that, but that will distract me from the thing I'm paid to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if, if, if somebody else, oh my, somebody knew more about this particular problem than I did. But it isn't even a problem that impacts your business directly. It may five or ten years from now or two years from now. But you can't foresee what's going to happen, even in the craziest situations, six months from now. So let go of it. How do you meet payroll now? Forget about the forecast of ten years from now. What's going to happen today, this month, this week, that I can really impact myself? And not worry about something that I can't do anything about that has no value to me whatsoever, other than just being the person with the most, most recent information on a meaningless subject. Okay, so you're not saying don't be informed about my business. Oh, my God, no. No, on okay, the contrary. Just, I wanted just, to make sure people aren't hearing. I, I no longer need to listen to the news, stay aware of trends or any of that. You're saying don't get distracted by stuff that is not core to what I'm up to. Exactly. Exactly. Because we, we get addicted to the news. I mean, it's the, the media has been perfectly tuned, and our phones are perfectly tuned to draw us into them. We get a hit of dopamine every time we do a like or respond to a tweet. We get a hit of dopamine. So it's a, it's a perfect drug delivery system perfectly tuned to us. And so we are transfixed by our, our, our phones. We can't walk away from them because we are literally addicted to them. The brain actually pumps enough dopamine out. If you do your phone all day long and you're very active on your phone, you get enough dopamine that you are literally addicted. The brain actually changes the, the, the interconnection between synapses in the brain because you are doing this all day long. And it has a pleasure. It sees this pleasure happening again and again and again, and we literally get addicted to our phones or sex and drugs or whatever, but also to your phones. We are literally addicted to our phones. Unless you can find some way to pull yourself away from that, you will stay addicted to your phones because they are a perfect drug delivery system. And so, again, just to recap, the I need to focus my brain. So I know what my vision is. I know what my values are. And just like I don't go goofing around, goofing around for me, given what I do for a living, I don't spend an hour on Twitter because it's not helpful. I don't. No, and the old you know, water cooler are gone, but... You know, the gathering in the break room. Wherever you, wherever you break, 
where you start your meeting off and you spend 50 minutes talking about the latest story, whatever the latest stories are, the latest crisis is in the world. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter to this company, really. Maybe a terrible thing, something happened in Orlando or something happened in San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. Awful, absolutely. But what's it going to do with my business? What's it have to do with, with me doing my job, me being present for my family, me being with my partner? What does it have to do with any of that? Just let go of it. Okay, it's a bad thing. Terrible thing happened half a world away or 2,000 miles away. It's not germane right now. You can't do anything about it. The world doesn't care what you think about that event. Just to let go of that responsibility to have to know about everything. If you can't do anything about it, then don't keep it around. So again, to recap, because I want to make sure people hear your intent. So if there's an earthquake, you're not saying don't send donations or something, but don't continue to ruminate on it. It happened either I put something on my to-do list, come back to and attend to, or set it aside and go on with my business. Exactly. But there's no barring of compassion here. But okay, well, and that's what I want to make sure people hear, that they're not hearing you say, don't do anything, just focus on work and nothing else. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is be present for what's happening in your life. Your life. Mm-hmm. Not the real compassion not... for me is being totally present for everybody who's around me. Whatever comes into my consciousness, my sphere of influence, I'm fully 100% present for that. It may be mm-hmm. the person in front of me in the Trader Joe's line. It may be my car mechanic. It may be somebody I just happened to see that I haven't seen in a long time. Be present for those people. Show compassion mm-hmm. to them. Because you may find that's what real compassion turns into. We want to make ourselves feel good, and we do. There's a circuit we have called reciprocal altruism. If we do something for somebody else, we're ultimately expecting a return on that. What we call compassion is really just that, reciprocal altruism. We learn how to do that to reinforce our hierarchy, our structures. You know, I give you something, you give me something back, we're good buddies. That fits into our organizational structure. We believe that that cements us together. But it isn't really compassion. I mean, compassion, just try being present with everybody in your life as they come into your life. They're there for a reason. You can impact them directly. Sending money off to some faraway place may make you feel good. It does make you feel good. But try being with somebody around you. A lot of that is trying to make ourselves somehow okay with problems in the rest of the world. But the people around you, meantime, are being starved for attention. I watch people, for example, with their kids or their partner Uh in a restaurant or a boss with his co-workers in a restaurant, and they're on their phones the whole time. Uh what's, What's the point of that? Where's the compassion for the people around the table with you? Your kids are dying to talk to you, and you're on the phone for the entire time they're there. Or your partner wants to, wants to you know, share something with you, and you're on your phone the whole time. And they're on their phone the whole time. You've got to get, break that off. That's not your real life. Your real life is right there in front of you. And we run away from that by trying to solve some problem halfway around the world. Solve the one right in front of you. So let's go back then to how that connects with brain functioning. Mm-hmm. So, so a couple of the exercises you've talked about is when I have that story running, ask, is it true? 
Mm-hmm. Am I going to get fired for being five minutes late? Mm-hmm. Is this client going to dump me because I made a mistake? Mm-hmm. Um, the second being set the timer and ask, where am I? Where are my thoughts? Mm-hmm. What story am I telling myself? Who am I? What am I up to? Some mm-hmm. question that brings me back to being present where I am. And right. then the third exercise is be mindful of the amount of phone Again, back to being present, present with myself and my thoughts and with the the wonderful people in my life when we're together. I can go be on my phone when I'm alone. Right. Right. And, and, and you, you get compassion points. You get a reward from that as well. In, and this in this whole way. idea of just being with people, being present for people, even if it's your... You know, your, your lowest employee or your highest boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, being fully present for them without any storyline, just being there for them is the most compassionate thing you can do and something that's in very short supply right now. And I think we need to really change how we're, going to run, how we're running our lives now or we're going to have a very bleak future. And the, the little things we just laid out here are very good ways to begin building the blocks of a new structure of your consciousness and of your operating system that you have and look at it in a way that is constructive. You know, is this operating system running the way it should be running? Or can I do it better? And we've had tips here now to look at ways to make your operating system run better tomorrow morning or this afternoon or tonight. You can just do that. None of this is rocket science. But you can take charge of your operating system and you can restructure what its activities are. So I want to run through those three again very quickly as we wrap up. One, as I'm telling myself a story and I feel my body tensing, exactly. is, is this true? Two, set the timer and ask myself questions. Three, attend to, am I being present for the people in my life? When I'm in a meeting, when I'm having lunch, what, back to where am I? Am I being where I need to be with people when I'm with people and scheduling myself such that when I'm alone, I'm alone and I can, I can do those other tasks. Those three simple steps will make a huge difference in my ability to think clearly, manage my energy, and deliver results. Is that... Absolutely. What am I missing? Nothing. And the idea that you can really feel the difference... You can feel what it's like to be with, present with somebody. You can feel what it's like when you have anxiety about some problem that you've got in the office. You can feel when you're reading about some story that's half a world away, it's a terrible thing. Feel what happens in your body. You can just feel whether this is productive and useful for you if it really is clogging up your operating system. So, Gary, do you have a website that people can learn more about your work? Yes, happiness-beyond. Dash thought dot com. Okay, so happiness dash beyond dash thought dot com. Gary has a lot of videos and information available, and I really encourage people to go out and test these out, try them on, see how they work for you in service of more happiness, more productivity, more joy in your lives as individuals, family members, and leaders. And please email us if you have questions, uh, info at metcalf-associates.com or on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Enjoy your day. 
Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.